Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. Thank you for joining me once again. I'm back from my cheeky little week off. Um, If you follow us on social media or on Patreon, then you will know that me and Bethan caught up last week. It was a long overdue catch up. Uh, We had a great time. We've made loads of plans for the future. We've got so many exciting things coming up for you and I cannot wait to be reunited with my partner in crime and I promise you it won't be long now. So as Bethany's still not here, I'm going to mix things up a bit this week and do Patreon thank yous at the end because she never lets me do that. She's dead against it. Uh, So whilst the cat's away, the mouse will play. Um, And the reason I'm doing that is because I have a very special message from one of our listeners who got in touch recently. Hi, Bethany and Mark. It's Ben from Vine Me. I hope you enjoyed your supernatural green glow Sav Blanc and the blood red Susau from Portugal. I started Vine Me to bring some of the most eco-friendly fine wines from around the world to your doorstep in the UK. These are award-winning wines from an award-winning company straight to your doorstep. So if you or any of your listeners want to purchase any of these or any of our other sustainably made wines, they can do so with a 10% discount using the code SEEINGRED10. So go to vineme.co.uk, have a look around, ask some questions, get in touch and get tasting. Over to you guys for the show. Cheers. I most certainly did enjoy my wine. Um, I've just signed up and uh, it's really quick to sign up. I've signed up to the white one, uh, which is two bottles of white wine delivered to your door every single month. And it's a whole experience this is. Um, So I I really recommend it. Do check them out. So that's vindme, V-I-N-E-D-M-E dot co dot UK and use promo code seeingred10. So basically, I'm not doing anything this week. I've got uh, somebody uh, along to to read all about Vind Me. uh, And I've actually got an episode that's been researched and written by one of our listeners, Samantha Lewis. So I didn't even have to do that. Uh, So Sam got in touch with us a few weeks ago. She's a real true crime buff and also a keen writer. And she was really keen to combine her two interests and to contribute a script to us. And I have to say... Sam has done a fantastic job, so thank you so much. If, like Sam, you're a keen writer and a true crime fanatic and you're looking to showcase your talents, then please do drop us a line at info at seeingredpodcast.co.uk or you can DM us on any of the socials. We might respond within about 10 weeks. This week's case is truly tragic. It features the deaths of 39 innocent people 29 men, 8 women and 2 children, 2 boys who were aged just 15. These people were all desperate for a new life in a country where the streets are perceived to be paved with gold. But for them it wasn't to be. This is the story of the Essex lorry deaths. People migrate to the United Kingdom for many reasons. The most common reason, as of March 2021, according to the University of Oxford, is for work and study. But of course, a small number of migrants are refugees, people fleeing persecution and seeking asylum. Others are trafficked. See Season 2, Episode 23, Modern Slavery in the UK. For more on that one, Bethan researched and presented a brilliant episode that really delved into it. And of course many are smuggled willingly and arrive in the UK with aspirations of a better life for themselves and of course for their families back home too. 
Each year, an estimated 18,000 Vietnamese migrants make the decision to risk their lives and their freedom in order to be smuggled into the UK. Often facilitated by organised networks, these migrants are given the promise of a waiting job and the prospect of a new aspirational life, a life that seems out of reach in their home country. Now, although most of the jobs they end up doing offer paltry pay, poor working conditions and long hours, for many this is still seen as preferable to the life they seek to leave behind in rural Vietnam. Various reports state that, pre-Covid at least, the Vietnamese economy had been doing well. However, it would appear that much of the wealth is concentrated in the larger cities of the country. In poorer, more rural areas, the average monthly wage is just £100. Outside of the wealthier areas, homes tend to be pretty modest. Yet, over the years, larger, more affluent homes have been springing up in notably poorer areas. Many of these homes have been built using money sent back to Vietnam from migrants who have been successfully smuggled and ensconced into the UK. For the families they leave behind, their hard-earned money is of course gratefully received, but a portion of that money is often used to pay off the smugglers who delivered their loved one to their new life in the UK. Whilst the journey is often risky and not at all glamorous, obtaining a visa to the UK is extremely difficult, so smugglers know that they can command large sums of money for so-called VIP crossings into the UK and Europe. In many cases, they charge upwards of £15,000. On the 23rd of October in 2019, news broke of a devastating discovery. 39 bodies had been found in a lorry container in Greys in Essex. The 39 inhabitants had embarked upon the perilous journey from Vietnam to the UK in search of a new, more prosperous life. They would never have known when they entered that lorry container that they would never see daylight again. A Channel 4 News reporter, Parak O'Brien, followed 26-year-old T. Tra Mai's journey from a home in Vietnam to her place within that fateful lorry. And this really gives us a fascinating insight into the inner workings of an illegal people smuggling operation. Parak established that Tra Mai had, along with some others, left Vietnam travelling by either car or bus before heading across the Chinese border. Whilst holed up in neighbouring China, Tra Mai resided in a safe house which had been organised by the Vietnamese smuggling network. Here, she and her travelling companions were issued with fake Chinese passports before being flown onto Paris. Once in France, their journey became much riskier. The migrants were trafficked to another safe house where an Eastern European smuggling network took over the management of their journey. Tram Mai and the others alongside her were driven by a fleet of taxis north to Bienne, a commune in northern France located close to the Belgian border. Here they were met with yet more migrants who had been travelling from all over Europe before congregating in a farmhouse, eagerly awaiting the arrival of the lorry which would take them, along with their hopes and dreams for the future, ever closer to their final destination, Essex, in the UK. On the 22nd of October in 2019, a refrigerated articulated lorry pulled up at this farmhouse. 
An eyewitness saw nine people running out of the house straight into the back of the lorry, which quickly drove away. Other migrants boarded the lorry at other pickup points, and it's reported that one person arrived late for their pickup. This person missed their place in that fateful lorry, which would have surely been devastating for them at the time, but their tardiness would ultimately be what saved their life. While there was no doubt an air of excitement on that fateful morning, with the lorry's inhabitants feeling optimistic for their new life in the UK, these migrants knew it would be an uncomfortable journey in the back of that dark, dingy lorry. There were no chairs or cushions, they would feel each and every bump in the road. And of course there was no toilet either. Don't forget, there were 39 people in the back of this lorry. There may have been a bucket for sure, but very quickly, the smell of raw sewage would have become overpowering. Everyone, I am sure, would have tried their best to get comfortable, but it would not have been an easy ride. As the doors closed on them, the container would have become airtight. It would have been pitch black inside, and the temperature would have quickly begun to rise. While the refrigeration in the container was never switched on, it was still recording the temperatures from within the unit. At this point, upon first boarding, it was a comfortable 21 degrees Celsius. But pretty quickly, oxygen in the container began to deplete, being replaced with deadly levels of carbon dioxide. The lorry was caught on CCTV at the bustling port of Zeebrugge, Belgium, where the driver, Eamon Harrison, reversed the lorry into the allocated parking bay and uncoupled it before driving away. This was around lunchtime on the 23rd of October. The autumn sun was shining and the temperature for the passengers concealed within the lorry at this point had already reached a sticky, uncomfortable 26 degrees Celsius. Those sealed inside were quiet, terrified of being discovered by port authorities which would end their dream of a new life in the UK and almost certainly result in them being deported back to Vietnam. The trailer was loaded onto a cargo ship called the Clementine just before 3pm that afternoon, before setting sail at around 3.30. It was located on the weather deck, meaning it was open to the elements. Whilst the outside temperature was only around 14.5 degrees, we know that the temperature within the trailer had now reached an unbearable 38.5 degrees as the ship made its way across the North Sea. By this point, the intense heat and depleted oxygen would have induced panic amongst the migrants sealed inside. One of them took a series of photographs on a phone, showing the cramped, sweaty conditions. These have never been published, although they are often referenced in the press, and they are just too distressing. Tra Mai attempted to call her family on at least six occasions, but she was unable to get through. Others also attempted to make calls to loved ones, one even trying Vietnam's emergency number, but none of the calls connected, presumably due to the lack of phone signal over the North Sea. Fearing for their lives, some of the passengers attempted to punch holes through the roof of the container with a metal pole that one of them had found inside. They were desperate for fresh air, to draw attention to their plight as well, but sadly, these efforts were all in vain. Their metal prison could not be penetrated, only dented, and nobody heard their cries for help. 
Chillingly, bloody marks were also found on the inside of the trailer, indicating some of them had even attempted to claw their way out, a very sobering example of the human instinct to survive. Unable to call or message for help and with only the light of their mobile phones to illuminate them, batteries presumably running out of charge by this point, the migrants realised that death was now imminent and they must have resigned themselves to this fate. Many on board, Tramai included, recorded messages of love and goodbyes to their family. One was later played aloud in court. It said, I can't breathe. I want to come back to my family. Have a good life. Crying and gasping could be heard in the background of this recording too. The cargo ship, the Clementine, docked shortly after midnight in Fleet, Essex. A cargo worker later reported smelling a decomposing smell as he unloaded the trailer. Nonetheless, this was not reported at the time as trailers often contain a variety of different cargo and unusual smells were not uncommon. Forensic experts calculated that it would have taken around nine hours for the air to turn toxic within that trailer, which would have resulted in inevitable death, but that's nine long hours. So by the time the lorry was captured on CCTV disembarking the Clementine at Fleet in Essex, every single person within that trailer would have already been dead. Morris Robinson picked up the lorry at the UK port and was prompted to check on his human cargo by way of a Snapchat message sent by his boss, Ronan Hughes. Just six minutes after the lorry left the port, Robinson was instructed in the message to give them air quickly, don't let them out. He replied promptly with a thumbs up emoji. It was later revealed in court that the lorry container on this occasion held double the amount of migrants than was usual for them. This Snapchat message was later used in court as proof that those at the helm of the smuggling operation knew that they had been taking a massive risk by increasing the number of passengers that they were attempting to smuggle into the UK. Perhaps motivated by greed or other factors, but whatever their reason, this obviously had a devastating consequence for the Vietnamese travellers. By this time, more than 12 hours had passed since the migrants had been locked in their metal coffin. As I said earlier, for the first nine hours, most of them, if not all of them, would have been alive in unbearable conditions. At around 1am on the 23rd of October, Robinson parked the lorry in a quiet street. The street was deserted, but the moment that he opened the container doors was captured on CCTV. Robinson opened the doors, expecting to see 39 faces staring back at him, all breathing in some welcome fresh air. Perhaps even wide-eyed and excited to discover that they had reached their final destination. Instead, when he opened the doors, he was greeted by an eerie silence. Inside the trailer were 39 lifeless bodies. Hit by heat and the smell of death, sweat and human excrement, Robinson took a stunned step backwards and stared disbelievingly at the scene for around 90 seconds. And if you do look at the CCTV of this, which I think is still available online, you will see Robinson physically jolt backwards at this appalling sight that greeted him. As he opened the doors, a cloud of vapour escaped out into the night air. And at this moment, Robinson would have known that they were all dead. 
And yet, instead of calling the emergency services, he telephoned his bosses and began following their instructions. Robinson calculatingly abandoned his burner phone on their instruction. He then inexplicably drove around for seven minutes before parking back in his original location. He opened the trailer door again and made yet more calls to his bosses. At 1.36am, again under the instruction of his bosses, Robinson finally telephoned 999 to request an ambulance. His call was recorded. I'm a lorry driver. I've just lifted a trailer from the port. There's loads of them. There's immigrants in the back. They're all lying on the ground. I heard the noise in the back and I opened up the door. There's a bunch of them lying there. The trailer's jammed. They're not breathing. When asked to describe their condition, Robinson could not bring himself to return to the vehicle, stating to the operator, I don't really want to look in, to be honest with you. Among the first on the scene, PC Jack Emerson noted that Robinson looked calm. He noticed that one of the trailer doors was already open and that he could see numerous half-naked bodies in the back of the trailer, lying on the floor motionless. He reported a strange, almost chemical smell coming from the trailer and that there was smoke condensation emanating from the rear. And I just want to make clear at this point, I think the reason for the bodies lying half naked is that the heat had become so unbearable that they'd had no choice but to desperately strip themselves from their clothes and it was a pointless and futile exercise but they were so desperate that they were willing to try anything in order to cool themselves down but so sadly this resulted in an even more undignified death for them and I I just found that so tragic when you picture the the final hours where they would have still been alive in the back of that lorry It, it just doesn't bear thinking about. Upon entering the container, PC Jack Emerson attempted to search for signs of life, but the bodies were all packed so closely together he could only check the victims he could easily access. It soon became apparent, however, that all on board had sadly passed away. A murder inquiry was immediately launched and the investigation has since been labelled the largest mass fatality victim identification in the history of Essex Police. The lorry and the 39 bodies were moved from the scene to a secure location at the Tilbury Docks, another nearby port, where the investigation continued. The bodies were later moved to Broomfield Hospital in Chelmsford, where post-mortem examinations were carried out. The later post-mortem findings stated that the victims died from hypoxia, low oxygen conditions and hyperthermia, overheating. Perhaps due to the false Chinese passports, the police initially identified the travellers as Chinese nationals. The Chinese embassy in London sent officials to help to identify the bodies. However, by the 2nd of November, it was revealed to the public that all 39 on board were Vietnamese nationals. The next day, on the 3rd of November, Vietnamese officials had provided DNA samples and essential documentation to aid with identifying the deceased. And by the 7th of November, everyone on board had been formally identified. As the news spread across the globe, families were contacted directly and advised of their loved ones' fates. But tragically, Nguyen Hu Tung, the father of 15-year-old Nguyen Hu Hung, learned of his son's death via social media. He was quoted at the time saying that the family did not believe it until we saw his body by our own eyes. 
The lorry driver in Essex, Maurice Robinson, was arrested at the scene. However, he was only a minor player in a much bigger operation. An operation that spanned across the globe. So just who were the people at the top of the supply chain and were they ever brought to justice? While the families can never get their sons, daughters, fathers, husbands, wives, friends and loved ones back, they can hopefully take some comfort in the knowledge that those responsible have been identified and jailed. Eamon Harrison, who towed the trailer to Zabruj, was sentenced to 18 years in prison. He claimed not to have been aware that he was carrying human cargo and he said that he had been watching Netflix when the lorry was loaded up. Ronan Hughes, who sent the text message to the driver who made that grim discovery in Essex, Maurice Robinson, was from Ireland and ran a haulage company. He was the organiser of the lorries and the drivers that were used to transport migrants from France into the UK. While he often organised legitimate shipments of soft drinks and wine, he also illegally smuggled alcohol, cigarettes and people. While he initially fled to his homeland of Ireland on the day the bodies were discovered, a European arrest warrant was granted in April 2020 and he was brought back to Essex. He ultimately pleaded guilty to 39 counts of manslaughter and conspiracy to bring people into the country unlawfully. He was therefore sentenced to 20 years imprisonment at the Old Bailey in London in January of this year. And that is how recent this is. I really don't feel it got the attention it deserved and I think there's reasons for that which we'll come on to. George Nika, a Romanian lorry mechanic, helped with the coordination of the transportation of the migrants. He was found guilty of people smuggling and manslaughter and was sentenced to 27 years imprisonment. Maurice Robinson, the lorry driver who made the tragic discovery of the bodies, was paid £25,000 in cash, that's £1,500 per migrant, in order to pick up the container from Pure Fleet. He pleaded guilty to manslaughter and people smuggling and was ultimately sentenced to 13 years and 4 months in prison. Three other members of the people smuggling gang were also jailed. Christopher Kennedy was jailed for seven years, Valentin Kalotta was jailed for four and a half years and Alexandri Ovidiu Hanna was jailed for three years. There were undoubtedly others involved in this operation who were staying quiet, one of those we know being at the top of the conspiracy, a Vietnamese man named Fong who is based in London. Police are still investigating and there are others yet to be brought to trial. Speaking at the trial, Mr Justice Sweeney informed the defendants jailed for manslaughter that they would serve two-thirds of their sentences in custody instead of the usual half. They are clearly being made an example of, thankfully, and this will hopefully act as a deterrent to future smugglers. Detective Chief Inspector Daniel Stoughton said, May this serve as a warning to those who think it's okay to prey on the vulnerabilities of migrants and their families, transporting them in a worse way than we would transport animals. And I think he just hits a nail on the head. We would honestly not transport animals in this way, in this country, and these people, the conditions that they endured for at least nine hours, whilst they knew that they were surely slowly dying, it's unbearable. 
This tragedy sadly highlighted the scale of the migration problem. When news of the 39 people found dead in Essex hit social media in Vietnam, many other families posted desperate messages believing that it was their children that may have been in that very trailer. Later Facebook updates showed that these relatives had fortunately arrived in the UK safely. Dieppe Wong, president of the Pacific Links Foundation, which is a group that fights the trafficking of women and young people, has been quoted as stating that this was not the only lorry taking Vietnamese migrants to the UK that day. He said there were at least three other lorries, and this is just one typical day. The UK ambassador in Vietnam, Gareth Ward, gave a stark warning to would-be migrants, advising them not to gamble with their future. However, as we know, many migrants remain undeterred. They have no other option. In February this year, three men were rescued from a refrigerated airtight lorry in Cambridgeshire after telephoning the police from within their confinement and reporting that they were suffocating, so they had a very lucky escape. Officers from Cambridgeshire and Essex were involved in hunting for the lorry, which had come to the UK from France, and thankfully, yes, in this instance, they were successful in saving the three migrants on board. But we know that this must happen often, and I do think that the Essex lorry deaths is a prominent case, albeit underreported, that we are aware of. But I think there are perhaps other cases that we're not aware of where the bodies are disposed of when they arrive in the UK and it's established that unfortunately they've not made it alive. Uh, I think I think that happens and I think the bodies are disposed of. 16 people were also liberated from another refrigerated lorry in Cambridgeshire in June this year, showing that people indeed do remain undeterred. Police are urging the public to be vigilant and are asking for the public's help in order to stop trafficking and slavery. So in a bit of a public service announcement a la Beth and Stiley, I've got some hints and tips coming up. ITV News reported the following to be aware of, particularly at service stations or laybys. So that's people emerging from a lorry or HGV, especially suddenly or as if they're in a rush not to be seen. Hearing banging from inside of a lorry, always call the police or 999 if you do hear that, especially if the lorry is refrigerated. Um, Other things to look out for include a group of people heading towards or going inside of the back of a lorry. And if anything about the vehicle doesn't seem quite right, for example, if produce is being thrown from it, uh, something is being done to catch the attention of the motorist perhaps, then that would also be cause for alarm. Anyone who sees any of that is urged to call police on 999 immediately and to take a note of the vehicle registration number. Even if it has foreign plates, the police will be able to liaise with their counterparts abroad and establish the identity of the company or the owners of that vehicle. The reception from the general public has generally been compassionate towards the victims, although, as I've alluded to, it has been suggested not just by me but by others that this case has been underreported in the press, and I think this really is due to the divisive issue of immigration. A brief look at a snapshot of the comments on YouTube under videos featuring this case are very mixed, with some blaming the migrants for attempting to enter this country via illegal means. And of course, 
for every person blaming them, there's a person that supports them and has empathy for their plight and, and of course, for what happened to them. But I think it's safe to say that the country is perhaps split on this issue. And I think that's why this was underreported. To think that this was still going to trial as early as last year um, is insane to me. I can't believe that. It just did not get the attention it should have done. So, as I said, some people are more sympathetic and have nothing but empathy for those lost and, of course, for their families too, but there is a definitive divide. Amazingly, though, Mrs Fong, mother of Pham T. Tra Mai, who was one of the 39 victims who died on that fateful journey, has said that she doesn't hold any grudges against the people involved in smuggling her daughter into the UK. She said, To tell you the truth, I know that they deserve to go to prison and it would be great if they could pay me back the money so that I can pay the bank. But they are also just human. I don't hold any grudge against them. In the end, they were only trying to help my daughter find a job. Bad luck happened. I know they didn't plan for it. I even feel pity for them and hope they get out of prison soon and can go back to their families. So um, that brings the end to uh, today's case. It's a really tragic case and I think had this been 39 UK nationals that had died at the hands of a smuggling organisation, there would have been an inquiry. This would have been something that was featured in the news prominently for months on end. But because they were from Vietnam, we didn't really seem to care as much and that's not necessarily judgment on anybody. Uh, I just think it's a, a very interesting debate. But I, I think we will all agree that our thoughts are, are very much with with the 39 victims and, and their loved ones. OK, now I totally understand why Bethan doesn't like doing patron thank yous at the end, because it feels really weird. Um, I will do them because I've left it till the end. But uh, lesson learned. Thanks, Bethan, uh, for telling me off. I need you here to, to keep me in check. Uh, so thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, but of course, to our most recent supporters who have signed up to support us and the show in the past couple of weeks. So that's Helen Pusill. Bailey Salmon, Amy Cook, Shana Jones, Tasha Rose, Laura Keith, and to Claire Lou B, who has signed up to support us annually. Um, thank you so much. If you sign up to support us annually, you get a 10% discount. And we have access to loads of different stuff going on at Patreon. And it was something that Bethan and I were talking about over the weekend. So we're really keen to release much more content through Patreon. Uh, some of it true crime related, some of it talking about uh, topical things that, that are going on that are kind of more loosely related to crime and talking about ourselves a little bit as well. Um, so if that is something that sounds awful to you, then don't head to Patreon. Uh, if it's something that you would be interested in exploring further, then head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. There's no minimum commitment. You can just sign up for a month and see what it's all about. And we've got, I think, a dozen, uh, maybe 15 or so bonus episodes over there, uh, which haven't been released uh, here on the main channel. So so do check it out. Don't forget to check out vindme.co.uk 
UK and use code SEEINGRED10 for 10% off. And let me know how you get on with your wines as well. I'd be really, uh, really keen to know uh, how you get on. It's a real experience with Find Me. Uh, so, yeah, thank you uh, for, for getting in touch with us in the first place. OK, I've rambled on enough. Uh, I will just say, don't forget, we're on all the social medias. We're also on YouTube. Uh, do check us out on those. Hit subscribe on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, I will see you next week. Bye.